Hi, my name is Kelly. Um, God brought us to Wattis Church uh, over three years ago now. I was asked to be part of the online church campus ministry about a year and a half ago. We are able to stream across the world. Uh, we have now a regular viewership of over 400 steady people all throughout the U.S. and Canada. As hosts, we get to talk and interact with people to have someone tell you that just saying hi to them and welcoming them is the nicest thing that someone said to them this week is incredibly humbling. And to be able to pray with people and help to meet their needs, to get them connected um, with support systems and hopefully into small groups, it's just really been an, uh, an amazing experience to see how God is working here. I never thought I'd have a personal testimony about it, but I do. I have a beautiful niece who has struggled with drugs and alcohol since she was a teenager. And over a year ago, um, she struck and killed a person while she was uh, under the influence. And so she's been on house arrest, awaiting her sentencing. In that time, she decided to stream Waters online. When I saw her um, at my brother's funeral, she just ran up to me and she threw her arms around me and she said, Auntie, I've accepted Jesus and he's come into my life and he's changed my life completely. She was sentenced and she will have to be in prison for at least five years. But she's already enrolled in Bible college. She's attending church. We just pray over her that God will use her right where she is. It is our faithful giving in obeying God's command that allows us to use all of these ministries to reach people for Christ, to reach people like my niece and like those people around the world that allows us to send Bibles out, support the rescue missions, the pregnancy center. The fact that, you know, we are here for those who are not yet here. The, the legacy that, that we can leave behind are people that are being blessed and, and exposed to the gospel and coming into know Christ. These are some of the places as to where our tithes go. And that's why we give. Come on! Yes! The sun only the sun only worked one day last week. It's time for him to get busy and stay in that sky up here in New England. Can I get a good amen for that? I mean, enough is enough of all this rain. Well, welcome to Waters Church, everybody. My name is Tim, and I pastor this church with my lovely wife, Cheryl. This is not my lovely wife, Cheryl. But I do want you to give a big hand to Dan Rayberg, who is teaching with me today. <laughs> We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. You don't have to go there. We're going to put this on the screen in just a few moments. We are closing out a series of messages called The Church Just Wants My Money. The Church Just Wants My Money. We are in uh, part four, last part of this series. I have enjoyed this series. I hope you have enjoyed this series. The theme of the series, Master Your Money, Your Money Will Master You. When I started to do um, the planning for the series, uh, I met with Dan because he is uh, one of our Financial Peace University instructors, facilitators, and uh, you know, about 
15 minutes into the conversation, this guy was just overflowing with information on how, how we, could, I could, we could help you, bless you, share God's principles concerning wealth and money and uh, debt and all that kind of stuff. And there was just so much pouring out of him. I said, Dan, you got to just do it with me because there's a lot to say, and I really uh, appreciate his willingness to do this. Um, Dan, you are uh, what I like to call homegrown talent. And that means he was saved here, baptized here, became a leader here, and is now leading in financial peace. And now you're on the stage. That's right. Never thought it. I love that. <laughs> that's, the, that's my kind of Waters Church person coming right up through the minor leagues to the majors. Amen. And today, I know you're going to hit one out of the park for the people of God. You came to Christ through the online. So how cool is that testimony of someone coming to Christ through the online experience? And every week there's salvations online, friends. This is an amazing thing that's happening here. We had a baptism candidate this yesterday in the baptism class, came to Christ through the online experience. God is moving through all the outlets of Waters Church, and we're so excited about that. But, but just tell us your story, because what fascinated about me when we first met and we first sat down, it caught my ear. And these people, I already kind of told them, but I want them to hear from you. Trained in financial, uh, corporate finance at uh, UMass, yep. uh, graduated, uh, got a job in corporate finance, still doing that to this day. But all that training, all that edu- education, and Dan, your words were, were so profound. No one ever sat you down and you took no class to teach you how to handle your personal finances. Yeah, you know, so I was a corporate finance major from UMass. Uh, so to the world, that sounds like, man, he must know how to win with money. And what I was telling Tim is not one time in college or in high school was I ever taught to win with money. And I graduated and I realized I have no idea what to do. And I really yeah. didn't know what to do until I got plugged in with Waters Church uh, and financial peace. You know, so I just want to say, listen, I'm, I'm not some financial guru. I don't trade stocks every day. I can't predict the market. It's actually the opposite. What I realized and what I learned is winning with money is only 20% head knowledge. It's only 20% what you know. It's 80% your behaviors, yeah. you know, how you be intentional and you tell your money where to go and you be emotional about it. So hopefully today we'll be able to talk about how you can be emotional and intentional with your finances. And Dan, you are uh, a tither. Mm-hmm. Going back to last weekend's talk about the first tenth goes to God. I'm a tither. Or my wife and I, we tithe. Uh, every small group leader in this church, we expect them to be tithers because we believe what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16, that you've got to be trustworthy in unrighteous mammon, that's money, unrighteous wealth, uh, and God will trust you with true riches, which is people. We're not going to ever put anybody in spiritual leadership over any of you who does not honor God with the finances. I think that's a good principle. I think that tests the heart. Where's your heart? Jesus said, if your, uh, your heart will follow your money, remember the scripture, a lot of people get it backwards. We think our money follows our heart. That's not true. The Bible says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, your heart follows where your money goes. You mentioned, you mentioned stocks, and I like to say this, that when you buy a stock, suddenly now you care about what that stock does. Up, down, up, down. Your heart goes up. Your heart goes down in accordance with where you just put your money. And so we want to know your heart is here because your money is here, and uh, you're a tither, and there's probably people out here today who say, man, I just bought a house, or we just got married, or we're just struggling financially. There's no possible way we could tithe, but you're proof positive. It works. Uh, it's honoring God. Speak to that a little bit uh, as a person who is not paid by the church to say that. Right, yeah, I would just say, so I, I wasn't always a tither. You know, I'd grown up in the church, and I'd heard of the tithe, and I just thought it was for, you know, older people or other members of the church. It certainly wasn't for me, and, you know, I was a college or high school kid, so I didn't have a ton of money coming in. It was easy enough to kind of put it on the back burner. Uh, I graduated in May of 2012, so I came to a service, and Tim was talking about tithing, you know, so immediately 
red flag goes up. Pastor's talking about tithing. He's tried, probably trying to build a building or do something. Yep. You know, kind of shows where my heart was at the time. <laughs> and I remember Tim saying, you know, that the tithe calls for 10%. And I'm immediately thinking, you know, 10% of what? You're not getting 10% of my income, so I can't do that. <laughs> you know, like I said, it just kind of shows where my heart was. And, you know, the word's working on my heart as the sermon goes on. I remember Tim talking about a Malachi how God says to test him, to test him on the tithe and see if he opens up the floodgates of heaven in your life. And at the end of the service, he actually, he put us to a challenge. He said, I, I challenge you to tithe for one year. And if at the end of that first year, God hasn't moved faithfully in your life, you can stop. You know, so I had agreed. And I left there thinking, okay, God, I'm going to test you on this. I'm going to test you for one year. And at the end of it, you know, we'll reevaluate. So keep in mind, I was starting my career. I'm in sales. So you know, that, that, that profession generally just requires faith. I didn't even know if I was going to make it, never mind if I was going to be any good or what 10% would even look at that. So, you know, I just started. I started tithing. You know, I started, as soon as the money would come in, I'd send it, send it out. As soon as it would come in, I'd send it out. And I did that because I felt like if I mm. held on to it, I felt like it was mine. Mm. I didn't want it. I said, God, I just want to honor you with it. So you know, I continued to, to tithe. And I remember my first day at work was 6-17-2012. I wrote it on a sticky note, 6-17, and I stuck it on my computer. And I said, okay, I'm going to tithe for one year. Uh, so I did that, and about three or four months in, things were going well. Money was starting to come in, and I'm, I'm thinking, it was one Saturday night, I remember, I'm praying, God, like, I've never been taught how to win with your money. I want to honor you. Show me how to win with your money. And I'll never forget that next, that next day, that Sunday, I come in, and the FPU preview was on. And it was like God was speaking to me, Dan, let's do this. And at that point, I realized that God wasn't just interested in the 10%. He was no. every much as interested in teaching me godly principles for the 90%. He was going to show me how to win with his money. And, you know, how to get out of debt, these godly principles. So I just continued to tithe. I kept tithing. And long story short, at that end of the first year, my income had doubled. And I was so blown away by God's faithfulness. I was, you know, tithing was no longer negotiable. I was going to do it. Uh, you know, so I kept tithing. Year two, 30% increase. Year three, 30% increase. Year four, 40% increase. And I don't say that because I think tithing is some get-rich-quick scheme. It's not. I just think that, you know, God, he knew he could trust me. And I, and I, and I could trust him. And, um, you know, I really think this in any year of your life, you know, God's not going to put a blessing in your life if it's not going to bring him glory and if it's going to hurt you. It's not going to, you know, if you're not ready for it, he's not going to do it. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, God, I, I, there was a trust relationship there and, and he became faithful. And that's how the tithe kind of worked in my life. Yeah. And again, it's not that magic pill. Today, we're talking about that 90%, mm. you know, the 10%. It's not like you can just tithe and expect, okay, now God's just going to pour blessings into your life. You got to be faithful with all of God's money. It's all his. Right. We, we don't actually give the tithe. We bring the tithe because we can't give something that doesn't belong to us. And so, you know, the 90%, a lot of people are going to try to tithe and it's not going to work because you still uh, uh, gamble and you still go to too many bad movies and you still do like go out to eat 15 times a week and you're thinking, well, I guess the tithe doesn't work. No, you didn't do right by the 90% and you didn't honor God that way and, and see God's blessings as uh, a responsibility and a trust in your life. Yeah. So today we're talking about what is in your notes. Take out your notes. We're going to ask you to fill in the blanks, and we're going to give you the title of the message after we give you the first blank uh, beyond the title. The number one issue, when we sat down, Dan, the number one issue that people aren't winning with money, and your answer to me was what? Debt. I mean, without a doubt, what we see in FPU is debt is sucking out the, the, the finances of, of God's people. And, you know, the, in, in, uh, in the Bible, it talks about the borrower is slave to the lender. And I think that's just such a good image of yeah. the handcuffing, crippling nature of debt. It's got the chains on people. We're paying everybody else our money that we work so hard for except for ourselves and God. 
And it's, it's, it really is draining the finances mm. and, and stopping God's people from being wealthy for his kingdom. Yeah, and so the title of the message is The Devil is in the Debt Tales. And I worked on that title all week, and I got no reaction, but okay, thank you very much. No, no, the devil is in the debt tales, and, and I want to talk about debt from a spiritual, scriptural point of view, okay? My job is to study the text of the scriptures and teach you what it says. And I came across a reality that I had never seen before, and this week I saw it. And you got to hear this. you got to pay attention. Lean in real quick here. I thought about, in the Gospels, whenever Jesus is talking about sin... He uses a metaphor to describe what sin is like. What's the metaphor Jesus uses to describe sin in the Gospels? Debt. This is crazy. I never saw this before. In other words, Jesus says, you want to know how bad sin is? Think of it like this. Sin is like debt. I'll prove it to you. We pray a prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's actually our prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? When we get to the sin part of that prayer, what do we say? Father, forgive us our what? Debts. As we also forgive our debtors. Sin is like debt. Now here's the crazy thing. Spiritually, what separates you from God? Sin, right? Sin separates us from God. Everyone is born into sin. We need somebody to come and bridge that gap between us and God. We need somebody to bring us back to God. That somebody is Jesus and his blood, right? But I thought about this, that Jesus uses debt to describe sin. Guess what else keeps us from God? Debt keeps us from God. Debt keeps us from experiencing the blessing of God. I think about how Jesus could have used almost any other metaphor to describe sin. He could have said, you know what sin is like? Sin is like a mosquito bite. You know, he could have said that. He could have said, hey, sin is like stubbing your toe. Anybody ever stub your toe late at night? You're like, oh, you walk funny for the next couple of days. It feels painful. Sin is like that. It hinders your walk. It makes you feel pain. He says, no, no, no. The best way I can describe sin is sin is like debt. And so here's the deal. God wants his people living out of debt, out of it, not in it. And Dan, we talked about this too. There's the world's way of getting ahead, which is get into debt to get ahead. And then there's God's way, which is the exact opposite. Avoid the debt to see God bless you. Amen. So in the, in the Bible, Deuteronomy 15, 6, God says to his people, I want you lending to many nations, but I don't want you lending, borrowing from any of them. God wants his people not in debt. And then in the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, uh, this fantastic passage, Romans 13, actually 7 and 8, says this, pay to what? Pay to all what is owed them. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. You know, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And then verse 8 says this. Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything. And man, if we just lived by that passage, we'd be in better shape, wouldn't we? So we need to solve the debt crisis in God's people. Getting out of debt is one of the most spiritual things you can do. Some of you say, I don't come to church to learn about debt. I come to learn about Jesus. All right, well, listen, I just proved to you that Jesus used debt to describe sin, and it's a spiritual issue for you if you're paying everybody else, and you're handcuffed, and you're strapped by your debts. So question number one, when we start this message, uh, Dan, uh, we got to diagnose the problem, and the diagnosis question is this, how do people get into debt? We got two answers on your notes there, two answers for how do people get into debt. Number one, I mean, the first one is advertising works. And we, as Americans, we know this. We, we see how, many, how much companies pay for the millions of dollars for these Super Bowl commercials. 
I was talking to Tim and I said, you know, I saw a stat that the average nationally vi- uh, televised commercial for 30 seconds costs $300,000. That's 10 grand a second. In comparison, the same TV show that runs the full hour that, that has the, the marketing on there costs $300,000. That's $83 a, t- a second. So mm. you're talking about 10 grand a second for the marketing or $83 a second, you know, for the TV. Which one, you know, we have to understand that. What is being sold to us? Mm. And as consumers and as Americans, you've got to realize this, that to the fact that a company can't get you to buy their product and buy, and buy into the fact that your life stinks and this will fix it, yeah. to the fact that they can't get you to buy that line and buy their stuff, they have to leave the business. They've got to pick up their ball and go home if they can't sell you anything. That's right. And to that point, companies compete for your money. So to think that as like in a Christian, you can kind of walk around with your head in the sand and, and not really realize that you know, they're out there to get your money is, is ridiculous. The idea of advertising and like product placement is studied. I remember that I worked uh, in high school. I worked for Polar Beverages. I was a, a merchandiser, meaning I'd go to like the local stop and shop and the Shaw's and stock our product in the shelves. So it looked nice so people would buy it. And I still remember to this day the Coca-Cola guy and the Pepsi guy fighting with the floor manager about trying to get their product into the end caps on the end of the aisles and on the displays when you walk in. Because it's studied that if they can get their product there, not only will you buy one, but you'll buy multiple. And companies like Wrigley Gum were made millionaires just by realizing if they put their gum at the cash register, you'll just grab it and throw it down and buy it. And, you know, we can't really walk around. And once again, I fall into this stuff too. You know, I... I like to golf. Uh, I'm not any good at it, but I like to golf. And so I bought into, you know, a couple of years ago, I bought into the lie that, you know, hey, if I get new golf clubs and new balls, I'm going to be better. So I did it. I bought the stuff, and, and guess what? I, I still stink. I'm not any good. You know, so, you know, it sounds elementary, but they, yeah. they, they're good. They, they get into that hole of, and we know that, you know, that your life stinks because of X, and if you buy this, it will be better. Yeah. You know, I, I think I need to say this. It sounds so simple, but it's just so true. You might want to write this down on the back of your notes. Not every advertisement needs to be listened to. That sounds so simple, but it's true. You've got to keep your, your, your red flagometer up. You don't need to listen to every commercial. In fact, I, when I watch TV and I, don't, I, haven't DVR'd any, I haven't DVR'd it, which is like rare. I DVR everything. But just mute the commercials. I don't want to hear it because you're probably going to try to sell me something I don't think I need right now. But if I listen to your commercial, I'm going to be convinced that I need it after I listen to your commercial. And so maybe I don't need to listen to the advertisement. Turn the radio off when the, when the advertisements come on. Something like that. Whatever it is. But not every advertisement needs to be followed. Now, some of you, listen, this is great for you because you've got to just make a connection. You come to church and whenever the church or, or whatever church you go to, it, they talk about money. Instantly, your flag goes up. Red flag, red flag. They're talking about money. I knew it. I knew that they would do this. They're going to bait and switch me. This church just wants my money. So you got that red flag deal going on. And I think that's fantastic. You should raise the red flag. But my question to you is this. Why do you not use the red flag at other places in the world? Like, for instance, some of you go to Gillette Stadium and your red flag system is completely dysfunctioned. You've turned it off. You pay $60 for parking. And it's like, no red flag. You walk into the stadium and you pay like $150 for tickets. No red flag. You pay $150 for a jersey for your 12-year-old son. No red flag. He's going to wear it like once. No red flag. You get into the stadium. You buy a beer for $150. You're like, no red flag. Hey, hey, where's the red flag system? Why does it only work in the church? Have it work outside the church and save yourself some stinking money. Come on, somebody. Let me just say this. You know, they're going to kill me for saying this. We got some patriots in our church. But let me just say this. Bob Kraft 
only wants your money. <laughs> I'm serious. Like the day that that business no longer turns a profit for him, it's going to be funny to see how fast he suddenly doesn't like those Lombardi trophies anymore. It's just about getting money out of you. And if there's somewhere else where he will be more profitable, I guarantee he'll go there because he's a very smart man. And by the way, good for him. And I'm not against the Patriots. I love the Patriots. Woohoo! Yeah, we're not against, I'd say, yeah, we're not against marketing people. No. I, I love them. They're just really good at their jobs. So we got to just be on defense. As Christians, you work so hard for your money, man. You, you sacrifice and you, right. you, you deal with that commute and you deal with all, with all that type of stuff. You just got to be on guard that, you know, God has blessed you with these finances. Make sure we're putting it in the right spot. Yeah. I mean, I owe a couple of Patriots gear, but I bought it at Walmart where it's like <laughs> 15 cents. You know what I'm saying? It's like... What do you say to, Dan, what do you say to somebody who's got an addiction to buying something? They buy and they buy and they buy and they don't even use it. They just buy. What do you say to someone like that? I mean, I think it comes back to contentment. I mean, you, we're, we know this as Christians. Like, you can take a deep breath, man. I don't need that stuff. That's not going to make me happy. And just being content that God is enough. And listen, I don't want you to have, it's not like having bad, you know, good stuff is bad. I just don't want that stuff to own you with the debt that comes with it. So... Uh, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, but contentment. That, contentment. You know, I, I can be okay, yeah. That's your passage this morning, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 7. It's up there on your screen. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. It says, yet true godliness. I love this passage. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I love that. What's wealth in God's eyes? Godliness and contentment. And, and then it says this, we came into the world with nothing. We're leaving the world with nothing. Just remember the perspective. One of the only places you will get perspective on the fact that someday you are going to stop breathing, your heart's going to stop beating, and you will leave everything behind. The only place you will ever hear this is in church and at funerals. It's my job to remind you that you can't keep this stuff. And listen, it doesn't make you happy. The Bible says godliness with contentment. That word contentment can also be translated adequacy. Godliness with adequacy. And I thought about this. Every advertisement you listen to is meant to do one thing. It's meant to convince you that you are now inadequate. You're inadequate until you buy that clothing style. You're inadequate until you buy that house. You're inadequate until you upgrade your car, whatever. And that's marketing. That's how it works. But here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and pronounces, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes and pronounces that 2,000 years ago, God purchased you back to himself with the blood of his only begotten son. Now, when someone pays that much for me, guess what I feel suddenly? Adequate. I have, I'm worth something. I am worth the blood of Jesus to my Father who is in heaven. No one has ever treated me that well. No one has ever loved me that much. And I don't know about you, but that's the best part about the gospel. It tells me I am valuable to God and nothing else in this world makes me more valuable to God. So now I can listen to those advertisements through the filter of it's not going to make me any more precious to my Father who already loves me with an everlasting love. Love. Amen. That's, that's, con, that's contentment. And you find that in Christ and you don't serve all these other, you know, these other salvations of, you know, better cars, nicer clothes, bigger houses, whatever. Uh, but advertising works, Dan. That's how people get into debt. Number two, what's the, what's the second answer? Under you know, our there's a real lack of intentionality with winning with money. Uh, and we find in class, we talk about telling your money where to go before you even get it on paper, on purpose beforehand rather than at the end of the month wondering where it went. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lack of intention. We are letting money happen to us. We aren't happening to our money. I, I was telling Tim, I saw a stat that 
the three biggest banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America, collected $6 billion, with a B, billion dollars in overdraft fees last year. We gave them $6 billion just because we were so unintentional and lazy to even look in our checking account to see if we had the money to buy the thing we didn't need. You know, so we need to be a lot more intentional with our money and tell it where to go. The second thing is you got to be emotional about money. Mm. You know, this society has done such a good job of taking away that emotional feeling of making a purchase with debit cards and credit cards and you know, the transfers and Amazon one-click. They, they've taken away that idea of feeling that you're making the purchase. I mean, yeah. have you ever had a $50 or $100 bill in your wallet and you go to buy something you still use your debit card? Because you don't want to break that thing. It's like yeah. so pretty, man. You yeah. f- when you have to break it, you feel, you feel the weight of that purchase. That you just bought something. With the Amazon one-click, you're sitting in traffic, man. You're just whacking that thing. You don't even realize <laughs> that you just bought $150 worth of stuff. It doesn't register. And that's just great job by them by making it convenient for you. The other thing is, man, and Tim's talking about the convenient financing that is out there is sucking people's money out of them. And the biggest thing when it comes to that is the car purchase. I can't tell you how many people come to uh, Financial Peace and their, their car payment is the biggest payment they have in their budget. And you know, your numbers are your numbers. You come to class, we're not there to look at your numbers. We're there to pray with you, make sure you're doing the homework and understanding the forms. But if you need help, you know, we're, we're there for you. So I, you know, we had a student, he was a 25-year-old kid, and he said, Kim, I said, Dan, you know, I, I, can't, I can't find, I can't win. I can't find how to save and, you know, get out of debt. So, you know, finances, when it boils down to it, it's pretty easy. You know, it's what's coming in and what's going out. Mm. So I said, Let, let's take a look at it. So, you know, he had 1800 bucks a month coming in after taxes. Of that 1800 600 of it was going to the car payment and the insurance. Yikes. One third of his money was being sucked into this depreciating liability. And, you know, we, we talked and I said, no, you can't, you can't, why'd you buy this car? And he said, you know, I was going to, I needed a car, I was going to buy something I could just pay cash for, but, you know, I was out car shopping and I, I saw the dealership, I pulled in and, you know, it was an $18,000 car. They told me it was going to be fifteen grand, and he said it was only 300 bucks down and, and I could afford it. And... In class, we talk about this. The poor man asks, how much down, how much a month? Yeah. The rich man asks, how much? They save up cash and they pay for it. Let me repeat that. The poor man asks, how much down, how much a month? And the, you know, the rich man just saves up and asks, how much? They pay for it. I said to him, I said, and in class, we kind of talk about like opportunity costs. So every dollar that God entrusts you with, there's an opportunity cost. What that means is, you can take that dollar and I can put it into my retirement, into my 401k, but by doing that, I've lost the opportunity to put it into, you know, a vacation and vice versa. If I put it into vacation, I've lost the opportunity to put that into my 401k. So we kind of, you know, in class, we talk about, let's make sure each dollar God entrusts us with, we're looking around at our opportunities and we're putting the best place for it that would honor him and, 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 you know, to help our financial future. So I said, you know, did you, he said it was only 300 bucks down. I said, well, did you, what, what's the cost over the next 72 months? Uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't do that. What's the interest rate? 17%. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, it's just, like I said, with the opportunity cost, to paint that picture, I said, well, let's, instead of putting that 600 bucks into a car, let's just pretend you're 25 years old mm. and for 40 years, all the way until age 65, you took that 600 bucks and we put it into a retirement account, the ninth growth, you know, growth, growth stock mutual fund that's averaged 10% over the last 40, 50 years. What's that worth at age 65? Point 600 bucks a month from age 25 to 65. What's that worth? No idea. $3.5 million. You know, I hope you like the car. You know, right. that's, and that's the type, and to be honest, that's the type of, you know, we're not taught this. We're never taught this type right. of stuff. So I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't expect you to know it, but 
those are the type of things that we, we try to talk about in financial peace to make sure that each opportunity we're honoring God the best way possible. In fact, it's a language today, especially at the car dealership, that how much down, how much a month. You don't even hear them tell you the cost of the car. Right. They don't even tell you the price. I, when, I, when I go to the car dealership, I, wanna ask, I ask that all the time. How much are you selling me the car for? Oh, who cares about that? It's this much a month. They don't even want to say because it's just the mantra and the language has just been force-fed. And another thing about colleges, they don't, even, they don't even tell you to pay. They just tell you go straight to where? Financial aid office. Go straight to financial aid office. There's no place to pay. There's always just another place to get into a payment plan. And it's, this is the language of America financially that is strangling people out of their money and we don't even understand it. And, and Christians are to be, we always say this, uh, we're in the world, we're not of the world. And, and we think that that phrase applies to rock and roll music and swearing and smoking and, you know, whatever. But how about financial management? We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so I'm going to do my finances completely different than the language of our culture. And one of the things that you said to me, though, big purchases. A lot of people here today, you might be on the verge of a big purchase, you're about to buy something fun or something that you need, and you're about to buy something very expensive. What do you say about that? Yeah, so in class, we teach two things with big purchases. A, the first one, you've got to talk with your accountability partner before you do it. So if you are married, that's your spouse. We're going to make sure that this is a godly, we've, we've, we use wisdom before we just go in there and let some sales guy sell us a $2,000 bedroom set before we even realize what we've mm. done. If you're single, that's somebody who loves you enough to tell you no. You know, somebody that, not your shopping buddy, somebody that can tell you, you just lost your job, you don't need to buy a $40,000 car. So we're going to use wisdom with those purchases. The second one is to sleep on it. So anytime you're going to go make a big purchase, which we qualify as anything over $300, go check it out. Check out the bedroom set and go home and sleep on it. And not, not the bedroom set you're checking yeah. out. Your own, your own yeah, just go home. Go home. <laughs> and, you know, and once again, pray about it. Think about it. Use some godly wisdom. And if you wake up the next day and you decided this is still a good purchase, man, go for it. But you'd be surprised how many times you go home and you think about it and you don't go back. The car dealer, I've, I saw a stat that... You're like 90, they know that if you, drive, if you leave that first day, if you leave the lot without a car, there's like a 90% chance you're not coming back. So when you try to leave that car, that, that dealership, the guy that's hanging on your leg, that's the salesman saying, don't go, stay here. You know? yeah. So use godly wisdom with those big purchases. Don't get sucked in and stuck in something. And the deal will be available tomorrow. All right, just you stop listening to that nonsense. Oh, it's only today, only today. Yeah. Now they got to make money tomorrow. Remember that. They still have to make money tomorrow. Okay, so that's how people get into debt. Number, uh, question number two on our notes here is, how do we get out of debt? How do we get out of debt? Because you are probably there, some of you, many of you, and we want to we talk to that. So yeah, you've got to tackle it. To get out of debt, you've got to tackle it with intensity. I mean, you can wander into debt, but you absolutely cannot wander out. You need to be intentional with your money. Start telling it where to go. Make it behave. You know, when I, when I realized the life that my college loans were, were ripping me of, I had such a hatred for the debt. Man, I would run to the, you know, to the mailbox when that college loan payment would come in because I just wanted to chuck money at it. I wanted to get it off. It almost became addicting yeah. to, to cross my debts off my list and get them to know that they're out of my life and I'm never dealing with them again. Yeah, just speaking of that too, you made a list of your debts, which we should be doing this. Make a list of them, and then you did literally cross them out. Absolutely, yeah. In class, we'll talk about that. Getting your, de you know, getting your debts on paper and attacking these things with gazelle intent. I mean, that's the only way to get out. You've got to give it and run as fast as you can, as hard as you can for the short term. I'm not, you know, cut your budget. Work a second job. Sell something. You have too much crap anyways. Get rid of it. Yep. Um, you know, and that's the, and to be honest with you, these, these are six, 12, 18-month 
things. I'm not saying you, you have to work two jobs forever. I'm not saying you got to live on beans and rice forever. I'm saying to the point that you can become emotional about getting out of debt, that's how you see change. Yeah, short-term pain for long-term pleasure. I mean, that's what, that's what he's talking about. Some of you say, I don't want to do that. It's hard work. Yeah, it is hard work. But, but you, what you got into now, you got to get out of, and it's not going to happen by nature. You just said it. You're, you're going to wander into debt, but you're not going to wander out. And, and so question, uh, number two under how do we get out of debt is simply this. Go to work. Go to work. I mean, can we get a good amen for work in this church? <laughs> like, I think that we... Americans, what's going on? Where is that good old-fashioned Protestant work ethic? That's what made us a great country in the first place. People went to work. They produced something with their hands. They put their hands to the plow and made money. And, and, and Proverbs 12, 11, one of the passages we're going to put on the screen here, says, a hard worker has plenty of food. This is from the Bible. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Uh, I love this passage. It's not on the screen, but it's in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. And, and Solomon writes, he says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. In other words, watch the ants and get to work. I mean, there's, there's a great um, life example for you. Stop, stop watching the, the NBA all-star who has a one in a million chance of being there and start watching the ants and look at what they're doing. They're going to work and they're doing what's necessary to make a living for themselves. And I think about this. We live in a culture that is social media dysfunctioned. Social media dysfunction. What I mean by this is a lot of people are on social media all the time checking out everybody else's life, getting into all kinds of political discussions that never change anybody's minds. You're looking at that person going to Barbados, that person's going to Paris, that person, and there, and this, and that. And you're like, oh, my life stinks. Look at all their awesome lives. And he's like, listen, you've got too much time on your hands. Stop people watching. And I like to say this. Go to work, make some money, and pay for your own stinking vacation to Barbados. That sounds like a good plan to me. I think that we have a social media dysfunction because we're just not functioning. And you've got to get in motion like that, that Newton law of physics, like a body in motion tends to stay in motion. If you are out of motion and you're on Facebook and you're checking everybody else's life out, man, it's just simply because you have not activated your life. Start activating your life. Get to work. Go do something. Make money with your hands. Here's another great passage. It's going to be up on the screen from 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says this, for when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's from the Bible. The Bible is pro-work. Jesus worked as a carpenter for 30 years. He ministered for three years. God is totally good with work. Work is not a result of the curse. Work is a blessing from God. And there's thousands of passages about this. It says, if anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. For we commanded you, or we hear that some of you who walk among you walk in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. In other words, they're checking Facebook all the time. Now, those who are, who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now, this happens in our church. Happens all the time. We get people coming to us, they say, I need money, I can't pay my bills, can't pay my mortgage. We're like, all right, fine, we are here to help you. We don't want anybody struggling, we don't want anybody in poverty in this church. But here's what we do, just so you all know. 
We take financial stewardship in this church very seriously. There's a person that we have them meet with. This person is a certified public accountant, and they're also a mighty person of God. They meet with the person. They go down their budget. They look at their line items. They say, here's where you're at. Then that person we send you to comes back to us and then says, here's what the church should be giving them. Here's what they should not be getting. And nine times out of 10, that person's just making some terrible decisions. And if you just make those small tweaks, it'll lead to financial prosperity. It's amazing how many times they come back to us and say, well, you know, they say they need money, but they've got Showtime, HBO, and Cinemax. They got five phones for three kids age six, four, and three. So it makes sense of that. And they're in all these other things. They got all these magazine subscriptions. They're paying for cable, all these other things. They've cut nothing out. They just want someone to bail them out. And friends, we don't do that with the tithe money that comes into this church. We want to be good stewards of everything God gives us. And we want you to work. We want you to put your hand to the plow. Dan, what do you say to somebody who says, man, my income isn't cutting it? So a couple things. Cut the budget. Like I said, these are short-term things, but pick up. I'm all about the side hustle. Like I said, you have a second job that you like to do stuff with. We have tons of success stories of people driving Uber or walking dogs. Man, anything. I don't anything. care what it is. These are short-term things to get you your situation to a different spot. There's nothing wrong with working extra hours or selling something. Like I said, you have too much stuff anyways. Sell everything. Have sell a garage it. sale. Yeah. And what debt is acceptable? So in, you know, in a perfect world, I'd like to have you completely debt-free. For the purposes of classes, you know, we talk about everything outside of the first mortgage. So student loans, car payments, uh, medical bills, credit card debt, the 50 bucks you owe your mom. Everything that you owe somebody, we're coming after. And then eventually, we're going to come after the, the mortgage as well. So you're saying I shouldn't take out a second mortgage from my swimming pool? No. Okay. All right. That's, that's good. That's good to know. Um, we ta- I said this in week one, and I promised you we would talk about this college education. All right, we said, I said this in week one, college, the, the promise of the higher education is failing Americans' young people. Okay, they're failing Americans' young people because they charge exorbitant rates to promise them this incredible lifestyle, this incredible income, and the income isn't there. And some of you, you got to hear this, you, gotta, you got kids going to co- high, college uh, or in high school, or, or maybe you're a young person right now and you're thinking about college, this is probably the best five minutes that you are going to have at Waters Church in your life. Pay attention real quick. How do we pay for college without putting ourselves into a whole heck of a lot of debt? Yeah, so I have a couple things here. First one, pick an in-state college. I mean, it's crazy how many times... I went to UMass Amherst, and my fr- you know, freshman year, I had buddies from New York and Rhode Island who literally came to UMass because they didn't want to be like their friends and go to their own in-state college. So they paid 50 grand a year to go to the State School of Massachusetts instead of staying at URI and paying in-state tuition there. So look at an in-state school. Let me tell you this. I don't have anything against Ivy League and these Christian colleges. I'm against the debt that comes with them, you know, the crippling debt. I see these people graduating with... $1,200 $1,200 a month student loan payment. And my, you know, my buddies, they can't even move out of their parents' house because they have all these you know, student loans. And let me be honest with you, no one cares where you went to college, okay? Bingo. What people care about, you know, I'm not going to hire somebody because he went to Yale. I'm going to hire him because he's a, he shows up on time and because yes. he's got good morals and a good work ethic. I mean, Tim, when's the last time you went to your doctors and said, Doc, I'm not letting you touch me until you tell me you went to college? Yeah, no kidding. I don't it, care. It doesn't happen. You don't <laughs> care. You don't care. I mean, people, what gets you ahead in life is who you are. You know, the, the godly man that got, that got, or women that God made you into. So pick an in-state college. Uh, look at community, second number two, look at community colleges. That's a great way to save money for the first two years. You know, the, uh, the idea that you need to be into $250,000 of college debt to get a job after college is not true. That's just a lie. Sold it's great advertising. Yeah, it's great advertising. That's a great marketing job. What a great job they did to think 
that I need to go get $250,000 undergrad to get a job. So look at it. I mean, I think, I think you looked at what it cost. For yeah. yeah, community college, $4,500 a year for community college. Uh, Ivy League education, this is obviously the top end, $60,000 a year. It's just unbelievable. It's a lot of money. Yeah, and you know, most of those courses will transfer to an in-state Bridgewater, UMass, that type of stuff. Uh, number three, look at on-campus versus off-campus living. You know, will commuting or living off-campus, will it save you five or ten grand a year? If I could look back on it now and if, if, if living off-campus would have saved me five or ten grand to, to, to graduate with 30000 less debt than your, than your buddies, that puts you in such a, a you know, head and shoulders above them after, after graduation. So consider those. And you said you, had fr- you have friends now who are still living with mom and dad because they're in such... Correct. Yeah, yeah, they're still living. With, yeah, so the idea. So the, yeah. so the formula that we came up with was uh, live with mom and dad during college, and you don't have to live with them after college. But but don't live with mom and dad during college, and you might end up living with them after college. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny how that works, and it's true. I yeah. mean, it really is. Uh, number four, get you know get every scholarship and grant possible. I mean, look everywhere. I. I was walking through the Big Y the other day, and you know it said, you know, submit a, submit a, a resume or submit a, a, a uh, an essay, and you know try to get money. So look at the schools, look at everywhere that you can go. You know, credit unions, all these different places are offering scholarships. Go after every single one you can. Submit an essay to every single person, and a lot of times they can just be formatted. So you type one essay and you kind of send it around. And lastly, go to work. You know, work 15 to 20 hours wait, wait, a week. Wait, 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 Dan. Are you telling me I should work and go to college at the same time? <laughs> yeah, you know, studies show, and parents, a lot of parents say that. Studies show that somebody that works 15 to 20 hours a week has a better GPA than somebody who doesn't work. And to be honest, it, it keeps you on schedule. You know, you, when you graduate from high school, you lose that, you know, that schedule of you know, going to sports after work or uh, you know, working. You know, so it's a great way to pay as you go. And it keeps you, you know, you can't sleep through classes on Thursday That's and Friday right. because you have, you have to work Saturday and you better study for that test. So and make, it keeps you on schedule. There's nothing wrong with working 15 to 20 hours a week and paying as you go. Yeah, and I would say one of the worst things you can do, parents, is pay for your kids' college education and not expect them to work or contribute to it at all. What, what, are, what are you doing? You are empowering them to have way too much time on your hands, way too much time on their hands. Do you know why? Because some of these colleges are teaching absolute nonsense. You get like three credit hours for a class on gender studies. Well, what the heck is that? I can teach you in five seconds what a gender looks like, okay? <laughs> Let me just spare yourself the money. But listen, these are the educations that people are going through, and then they don't really have to work at that class because how hard is it to tell a man from a woman, although it's getting more difficult today. But nonetheless, you know, you, you, you got these, these classes that don't really require much effort, and then they got all this time on the hand. They go party, they go drink, they go, you know, fornicate, whatever. They do all these things, then they ruin their lives, and they have this, again, short-term pleasure, long-term pain. And God's way is always been the opposite. Do the hard thing now and watch the pleasure long term over the course of your life eventually come. But Satan has been convincing us that short-term pleasure is worth it. And we know, we know only by experience that it's not worth it. It's never worth it. Make the sacrifice now. Um, What do you say to people who say, man, I need my kid to go to an Ivy League school? You've been sold great. I mean, you've been sold. That's great marketing. The the, the idea that you need to pay $250,000 a year to get a good college education is not true. That's an unbelievable marketing campaign by them. Once again, nothing wrong with the, these schools. I like these schools. I'm all for education. I'm not for the crippling debt that comes with them. Yeah, and, so, and uh, I would just say about that Ivy League thing, just pastorally, like some of you parents, you're convinced that your kid needs to go to Ivy League. You understand that Ivy League institutions are leading the way in socially re-engineering America. 
Socially reengineering America. They're, they're leading the way with new pronouns for genders and, and teaching kids today to be more confused than ever. These are, these are the institutions of high learning. And many of these Ivy Leagues were started by pastors and Christian ministers to train people in the word of God so that we wouldn't be deceived by the very lies they are propagating today at the Ivy League level. And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 1. It says this about ancient cultures, and I think it applies to this culture today. Now, what happened in the ancient world is people stopped worshiping the creator. They started worshiping the creation. They started to give themselves over to immoral pleasures. And then the Bible says this, in their thinking, they became fools. How appropriate that is for American culture right now that our highest education organizations in our culture are becoming foolish. They can't even tell a man from a woman anymore. You can have sex whatever you want and ruin your life and live with the regrets for the rest of your life. And listen, I don't have any skin in the game for how your kid turns out. I don't have any skin in the game. Listen, I have a wife. I have three beautiful children. Neither myself or my wife have any kind of bad, sick diseases that come from sexual immorality. So I don't have anything to gain or lose by telling you this. You have everything to gain and lose by hearing this. Do what's right. Don't follow the trend of culture. Follow the word of God. It's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And your life will be blessed when you follow this word and not the world's word. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can, you can ignore everything I'm saying and it's going to go badly for you. And I'm not going wor- I'm, I'm to be affected. I'm trying to help you. And Dan's trying to help you. And don't fall for this nonsense. Number three question in your notes. What does a life without debt look like so you know let's talk about the promise of what debt without life without debt would yeah i'd say the first one you know there's a certain peace of mind that comes from you don't owe anybody anything and you know when you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're you have paying off all these debts every time there's a, a problem like a car problem not only do you have car problem we got to fix the car now you have money problems as well yes we got to put this on our credit card we don't have the cash saved up there's a certain peace of mind that comes man i don't owe anybody anything and when you see that 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 the uh the life that debt is robbing you of, it just becomes so unattractive. Like, no, man, I'm not going back to that. I'm not owing anybody anything. I'm giving my money to God, and I'm going to build wealth. You know, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Those are godly principles, not to pay off all these debts. There's a certain peace of mind that yeah. comes with being debt-free. We, we pray for peace. You know, we want God to give us peace, but then we don't want to think about, well, what's causing us not to have peace right now? Right. <laughs> and that's one of the big things. It's money problems. Number two, answer to what does a life without debt look like? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a power to give. You know, when you, don't, when you aren't living paycheck to paycheck, you're not paying off your debtors. You don't have to hold your money so tightly. You can, you know, you can open up your hands and let go. And you know God's going to, you know, reimburse that. And you know that God is good. And, you, you know, you can see in your small group that that single mom can't afford her electrician bill, and you can pay that. But if you can't pay your own electri- electricity bill, how can you pay hers? You know, so that's why when I started to view that, that, man, if I got my money right, if I got out of debt, what could I do? How could I affect the church and the people of the church? That's, you know, that's godly biblical finance. And number three is prosperity with a purpose. Yeah, you got to understand, if you've heard this lie that being wealthy is somehow a sin, that is a lie from the devil. Yeah. God, you know, if anything, I think that God, you have, as a Christian, you have more of a responsibility to win with God's money. And because if we don't, if we just think that as Christians, we got to be, we got to live in poverty, that's what God wants, where does the rest of the money go? Mm. To the other side. You that's know? right. So the money will go to the, to the world and they'll build up their, the, you yeah. know, all their type of stuff. Someone's going to have the money. And I think about this, like if you look at our culture, what what facilities in our culture are the most ornate and the most beautiful? And I thought about it. It's very simple. The sports stadiums and the casinos. 
Like people just like to win. I don't know what it is. It's like the addiction to possibly winning. But we want that instant winning, or we like to watch other people winning, which I don't get. How about you winning? How about you winning? And the reason why uh, sports stadiums and casinos are so ornate is because people are just pouring their money in there. And I think, man, let's get the money into the church. Let's get the money into God's people, not literally this church organization. Your pockets. Let's get the money into God's people's pockets so that you can start funding things that are good for America, things that help people, things that are um, a benefit to societies and communities. And, and I am fully aware that not everybody in all of our communities is going to be Christian. I know that. Jesus actually said there's going to be far more many unbelievers than believers. But let's see how many believers we can see get wealthy and get blessed so that you can be a blessing with a mind that says this money should be used to honor God and produce life in my community and bless the people around me. And the world will see it and will fulfill that Abrahamic promise that we are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. I just like that. Prosperity with a, with a purpose. Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, good works. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share and store for themselves a treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so I am all for you being financially prosperous, not everybody gets financially prosperous, and I don't sell that, that, that line that you hear from some preachers, usually with a Texan accent, come on, you give us $5, God give you $500. That's not what I do. <laughs> That's not what I do. I'm talking about long-term choices, trusting God, honoring Him with the tithe, but then also avoiding, avoiding debt. So question number four, lastly, probably most important question, what do I do now? Get started. I mean, it might be, feel like it hurts to look at your, your numbers, but let me tell you this. If you're not looking, if you don't look at your numbers, who's gonna? You know, mm. they're yours. And in class, there's, you know, there's always that initial fear of, man, I don't want to look. It's too messy. And you just got to get over that. Here's the thing. By looking at it, first off, you get a starting point. It tells you, and, and it's usually never as bad as you think it is. When you actually look at it, what am I paying for insurances? What is my, you know, what, what is my car payment? What's my interest rate? When you look at this stuff, you know, it gives you a starting point. Okay, this is where I'm at. And it's almost empowering that I don't have to live like this anymore. Right. I, Tim says that every time you get money, you know, it's a test. But I also think it's an opportunity to change. You know, you, every time you get money, you get to decide, who am I going to pay? What's going on here? So it's empowering. It really is empowering to get started and look at your numbers. Yeah, and I, I know that fear, that fear that you don't want to log on to your financial institution. Anybody with me on that? Like you get a little bit of hesitation. I don't want to see how much I've spent. I don't want to. But you've got to get over that. You've got to get over that. The Bible's message from Genesis to Revelation is one of, the big, one of the big things is this. Do not fear. Do not fear. Get over the fear and start tackling the problem so that in a couple of years, there is no fear when you log on to your banking institution and you see your financial uh, situation. But number two, Dan, what else do we say about getting started? Man, get into financial peace. Uh, the class starts April 23rd. It's nine weeks. It's going to be every Sunday from 1.30 to 3.30 uh, for nine straight Sundays. I really believe this. You're not here by accident. God wants to work in your finances. He wants to show you. We're never taught this. Come get taught. Let us pray with you. Let us, let us answer questions and uh, you know, be willing to live like no one else now so that 
you can live and give like no one else later. That's biblical finance. And I see some people writing it down. So when, when does it start again? It starts April. April 23rd. We'll try to do some mark. Uh, so we'll try to get some marketing or advertising yeah, out there. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we'll and there up. is there is an upfront cost, but the reason for that is to, to get you invested. Let's you know if, if if at the end of the nine weeks you don't feel like you got the 99.75 back, I'll personally reimburse you because I know I wish I could stand from a mountain and scream this to all my friends and my family. Get in this class. Let's learn how to do it. Let God work in your finances. Child care is provided, so don't let that be an excuse. We don't do it. We know that there's no football these Sundays, so that's why it's on Sunday Amen. at 1.30, yeah, 3.30. Husbands and wives, come. And this isn't like a husband bashing thing. This isn't a wife bashing thing. This is getting you both to have the same language and the same plan of how are we going to get out of this. We got into it together. We're getting out of it together and, have, and live with a purpose. And just talk about that. The last thing we're going to share is just talk about that thing where, and this is all the married couples, you'll resonate with this. The wife comes home with a bag. She's gone shopping. She comes home from a bag. Husband doesn't know what the heck did she just spend. Big fight. Bada bing, bang, boom. But financial peace, what happens? Yeah, so when you, know, when you don't have a plan, you know, she come, you know, your wife comes in with the bag, and it's immediately you think, and I saw this in my family, you know, we haven't paid our credit card bill. What are you doing with that? What's in the bag? To flip that in financial peace, we're going to work that into your budget. So you're going to have, you know, 100 or 200 or whatever the X amount per month that you can spend on clothing. So a, pre, a pre-agreed, pre-agreed amount. pre-agreed amount that we have on plan, on purpose, the month before, that when the money comes in, you have X amount. And it changes that conversation. You walk into the house and, wow, you know, the money was there. We're still doing our 401k. We're still paying off these things. What's in, you know, now it changes. Let's see it. It probably looks nice when we put it on, you know. So it's a different conversation when it's built into the plan, mm. and we know that everything else isn't going to be destroyed because you bought that clothing. It just changes that whole conversation. Tell your money where to go so that you're not wondering where it went. That's a real, that's a real big line in, uh, in financial peace. Amen. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it. Awesome job. Thanks, yeah. So if you want to sign up for Financial Peace coming up April 23rd, you got to go to Info Central outside. A lot of people have been asking about it. So I don't know if it's limited or capped or whatever, but we're going to make sure everybody has the opportunity to get in. You're going to want to get to Info Central quickly, but don't go anywhere now. Don't go anywhere now. We're going to sing one more song, but we're also going to wait upon you for an opportunity to be a blessing financially to other people. And so we, we talked about this last week, uh, a parking offering, raising money so we can put parking down to get room for the people God is sending. I told you about that person that uh, came to our baptism class uh, because they came to Christ online. They came yesterday and got their baptism testimony filmed and they're gonna get baptized. How cool is that, that they got saved online and now they're coming? Well, last weekend, last weekend they decided to make it their first weekend to come actually be in the service. And by the way, online people, we love you being online, but eventually we want you to come to the service. And they made that decision last weekend to come, but they couldn't find parking. They had to go back home and watch the second service online. Man, we don't want that to happen anymore. So this is an opportunity, an opportunity for you to be a blessing to someone else. We're here for those who are not yet here. And so as you give, remember that. Remember that. We're going to wait upon you for that in just a moment. The last thing I want to say is this. This series was for you. For you to make decisions about your finances that change your life for the future. If at the end of this series now you go home and you don't do anything different with your finances, I have failed you or you have not paid attention. I want you to make a decision. Some of you got to go home and make the decision today. We're going to honor God with the first tenth. 
Some of you need to go home today and say, we're going to cut up these credit cards and close these credit accounts today. Do it today. So you got to go home and cut out the magazine subscription or the television channel subscription so that you can stop paying everybody else. Some of you got to go home today and say, honey, let's sit down. Let's talk about our income and our expenses and start budgeting and putting God first. And some of you, again, need to go to financial peace and really learn all the principles, far more many than we talked about today, about how to start winning with money. We want something for you, not from you financially. We want something for you, not from you. And we want all of you to be mighty men and women in the land that God has given you. Amen, someone.